Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast chatting about stuff that matters, real talk and lols. I'm your host, podcaster Belle Crawford. Thank you so much for joining me. And on the show, we're joined by reality TV star Erin Barnett, who you may remember from Love Island, Australia. Something you may not know about Erin is that she has endometriosis, something she's battled with since she was a teenager. And get this, she's had 17 surgeries for her. Erin has written a book, it's incredible, Endo Unfiltered, to help others going through similar. And even if you don't have endometriosis, you will find this chat really interesting. We'll find out all about Erin's book and everything. She's very open, very funny. Enjoy my chat with Erin. Erin, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time. We're so excited to have a chat with you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate being on today. Yay. Some of us know who you are, but tell us about yourself and what you do. Okay. Well, my name is Erin Alicia Barnett. Um, Some people may know me (laughs) from being on reality TV. Um, I've been on Beauty and the Geek, uh, Love Island, and I'm a celebrity get me out of here. And I've currently just become an author, which is wild. Uh, And I've written a book called Endo Unfiltered, and it's all about endometriosis and PCOS. Now, we're going to go through it all soon and talk through all those things. But take us back. Growing up, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do? And, you know, where did you grow up? I always wanted to be a flight attendant, actually, when I was younger, which is funny because if you know me now, I have massive panic attacks and anxiety attacks on a plane. I always think we're going to crash and burn all the time every time I get on a plane. So that that's not something I wanted to do. Um, I ended up studying nursing, so I really liked that. But then I went on to reality TV and then everything just kind of changed after that. And then I went on another reality TV show and I thought, you know what, I think telly's really more my thing. <laughs> I grew up um, in Melbourne in the western suburbs and I've got two sisters and an older brother. I am the youngest of four. So I'm, I was the spoiled one, yes. <laughs> and you've got lots of cute dogs as well. I lose count of how many. Oh, my God, I know. So I have got three children. Um, <laughs> my oldest is called Slinky. They're all dash hounds. So I've got Slinky, Cookie, who is a girl, and Snoopy, who is a boy. He's my newest child. And I know three is a very weird, uneven number. So I was thinking four, but then I thought four is also a weird number. So then I thought ten because ten sounds <laughs> oh good. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 10 dogs oh my god like how are you gonna fit Could them you in imagine? your house yeah now you have written this book and it's very good so well done Thank and you. it's, it's Thank really you. really helpful that it can like help people out so obviously this is from your own experiences now take us through your experience which i understand is quite lengthy with endometriosis yeah so i'll try and shorten it for you guys um so i started off having pcos so polycystic ovary syndrome when i was younger i had a three 
kilo cyst on top of my right ovary. So that's where it all started. That's when we realized that something wasn't right. And then from there on, I was always told by surgeons that I look like what seems to be endometriosis, but she's too young. So we're not going to do anything about it. Only a a few years ago where someone actually took a biopsy of what looked like endometriosis. And they were like, oh, you do have it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I did think I did because I was told since I was like 16 that I had something that looked like it. And then since then, I've had about 17 surgeries. I've had my left ovary removed, my left fallopian tube. And my last surgery in December, I was diagnosed with adenomyosis, which is just like endometriosis inside the uterus wall. Um, The only way to get rid of it is to have a hysterectomy. So I was like, yes, thank you. I've been trying to get a hysterectomy for years and no one will. So I was kind of glad that I got that. So then it was like my ticket to almost a pain-free life. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot to process and a lot of surgeries and a lot of information and I guess like decisions made about your life, you know, losing an ovary and then now although you want to have a hysterectomy and it's still a big thing for you to get your head around. Yeah, it really hasn't been that big of a deal for me. I think because I've been in so much pain and each surgery, it just gets worse. And I want my right ovary removed because I just keep getting cysts. And in my head, if you don't have any ovaries, you can't get polycystic ovaries. I know the reason they don't want to remove it is because they don't want to put you on hormone replacement tablets um, at an early age because I understand the consequences of that. But I also believe that having as many surgeries as I've had at such a young age is obviously going to take a toll on my body eventually. I just feel like it's more beneficial for me to live a good life for as long as I can on hormone replacement tablets instead of going through this till I'm 35, 40 when they decide a hysterectomy is age appropriate, as they like to say. Talk us through what it's like every time you have to have those surgeries and not even then, like all the pain you've been going through. What has that been like for you in your life? Oh, it's on. It has been. It is so exhausting, um, especially when surgeons give up on you and they pass you on to another surgeon. And you're like, why? Because no one wants to be that one surgeon that takes out an ovary. So it took me a while to find someone who would, and now to find someone that would do the hysterectomy. I have found Martin Healy, but the process to even go through that is, I have to have a second signature from a surgeon that he had recommended to me that I have to go see, and I'm also booked in for a psychiatrist appointment. I have to get the ticket of approval that I'm mentally stable to make that decision. And then after that, I will have the hysterectomy. But what's frustrating is if you become pregnant, no one tells you to go see a psychiatrist to see if you're fit to be a mother, but they've got to make sure that I'm fit not to be a mother. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Which is that's where the frustration lies is because if I became pregnant, they'd be like, oh, congratulations. You don't know what my mental health is like, but you have to check it to make sure that I'm okay to remove my uterus. It's not really helping you and what you need, but they're probably a bit scared to do those things because it seems quite extreme and final. What Martin Healy explained it as is a lot of women have come back to him and said, oh, I regret doing this when I was that age. And I'm like, yeah, but how many of them have had the surgeries that I've had and the complications that I've had and he's like well there's a few and I'm like well I'm not going to be like cosmetic surgery wise you can get anything you want and your surgeon can tell you not to get it like when I got my boobs done I got told by my surgeon that I was going too big and that I would have complications. And he said, but if you sign on the dotted lines that you understand the consequences, I can still do it. I went ahead and did it. He was right. They were too big for me. I did have complications, but I didn't come back and complain and get annoyed or angry because I knew the consequences before I did them. Do you know what I mean? So I just feel like it should be the same with this kind of surgery. But in pain wise, I've been, so to go see another surgeon, I'm seeing Dr. Samantha. So you've got to think I've been on opioids like painkillers 
for years. I think I've gone about a month between surgeries where I haven't had to be on anything because I wasn't in pain. I was living my best life. And then all of a sudden you get another cyst and all that cyst ruptures or you've got to go to the emergency room. So they give you morphine and then you have to have another surgery. So you're on anesthetic. And it's just like, you just keep going around in circles where I'm thinking if I get a hysterectomy, that's obviously going to take away at least 70% of my pain, which I can deal with hundred percent of pain every day. So I think I could deal with like 20%. I think I could live a normal life. <laughs> Yeah, I guess when you're dealing with the level of pain that you have, you sort of are able to, you're negotiating because you're like, come on, like if we can deal with this much, then we can lessen it to this. And I totally can get what you're saying. It's like you're trying to make your outcomes better. And like, what is that like in your life, which you've lived with this for a long time? How does it impact having a job, you know, relationships, just your everyday life when you're experiencing that kind of pain and, and when the cysts grow each time? It's honestly, it's exhausting. Like it ruins, it can ruin relationships, friendships, social life, your work life. Like at the moment, I've got everything inside of me stuck together from adhesions and my endometriosis. And I have another cyst in my right ovary. If I walk too much, it like inflames my stomach. Um, my back pain is so bad because I have pressure and then I know that I might get a clot or something. So I can't do too much movement. So I'm constantly cancelling friends' birthday parties or dinners. I'm like, I can't come. I'm on painkillers. I can't drive. I can't drink. Um, Work, it's like, you know, I can't come in today. I'm I'm just a bit too sore or I'm bleeding too heavy. Like I'm too uncomfortable. And then you just get into a mental habit of thinking, I'm in pain, so I must stay home. Where You've got to try and get yourself out of that pattern. But it is honestly hard because when you've got doctors that are just juggling you around, you're like, well, what am I meant to do? Hmm. How does it impact on your mental health? Yeah, so the, it takes a massive toll, especially if you are on pain medication, like say Endone or Tramadol or anything stronger. I understand how people could get addicted to these things. I use this purely to stop the pain. So then I get into a panic if I know I'm not going to have it because I think I don't want to feel sore. Like I don't want to be in pain, especially I've had a couple of cysts rupture inside of me and I knew that I had to go to the emergency room because the endone wasn't working. And then when I went in, they were like, yeah, you've had one explode inside of you. That's why the endone you took was not going to help. So when I have that kind of pain, if I've taken an endone and it has helped the pain, then I don't get so stressed and worked up. So I start crying and panicking. I'm like, it's happening. Like Mm. it's about to work. I don't know if I'm going to pass out, make sure someone's home with me. So your mental health struggles so much. I'm constantly messaging my friends saying, I'm so sorry for letting you down down. Um, I'll hopefully make it up to you. Let's book a dinner. And then the dinner comes. I'm like, oh, I can't come. I'm sorry that I'm a let down friend. But they're just super reassuring and telling me that it's okay. They understand what I'm going through. And what about for relationships? Have you found people have been quite understanding? Yeah. So I'm with my partner, Mick. We've been together four years this year. And even like he can see how each year it's just kind of gotten worse like my health wise with this because like obviously you can't have sex all the time because it's painful it's not that you don't enjoy it it's actually like it's horrifically painful and your partner if they love you they don't want to see you in pain right understanding some relationships they make you feel bad and being like oh that you know she doesn't she used to back in the day and now she doesn't and it's like you should be more sympathetic and understand that your partner's sore and that's what my partner does where he'll be like I hate seeing you like this and you've just got to have a good partner next to you who is helpful and trust me they're not they're not everywhere because I've been in relationships where I was told that if I didn't have sex while I was in pain that that's where cheating happens they're just going to go elsewhere and what else do you expect Mm. so I've been through that so when I'm in a relationship now that's healthy I'm like are you gonna cheat no oh okay I'm just double checking because that's what I was told it's honestly it is the worst thing but I don't want to I always think to myself like things could be worse and I don't want to like I know there's people out there that are obviously suffering with things that are I know this is uncurable but it's not like 
life-threatening kind of situation. Mm. So I just try and look at it like you're still breathing, you've still got your mind, like you've got friends and family, just try and push through and do as much as you can to help other people and hopefully you will get a good outcome from all of this. Yeah, 100%. And I see that in your book you did cover in a chapter the painful sex, you know, the elephant in the bedroom, which I think is a really good, important point to raise because I don't think that's something maybe that's spoken about enough, especially when it comes to endometriosis and awareness and for women who are experiencing it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I could use like a word to describe the painful. And I mean, like, it's honestly like you're being like, cut up or something like your insides are on fire and then afterwards you are just your stomach bloats out so much because your insides are inflamed like doesn't matter what you take and you're on the couch and you're just screaming and it's like why would your partner want to have sex and then watch you suffer in pain afterwards like that would be that's just appalling to see and then try and be helpful you're like well you should have known not to pressure me or to say that it's okay like it's all right no like there's other ways to please your partners Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry if you can't have sex because you've got endometriosis, um, wouldn't you rather get your health back on track and be pain-free than be with someone who's an asshole and then also be in pain? Yeah, and it must be really hard for people perhaps that are single or dating or, you know, must be really hard for them to then, you know, find relationships because that's something that's holding them back. You know, it's different when maybe you're in like a stable, loving relationship, but that must be really hard when you're in that situation, which I know you would have been at different times as well. Yeah. But see, it would be different now. Like what the doctors told me when you get older, it gets better. But in my case, as I've gotten older, it's actually gotten worse. Say for instance, knock on wood, it would never happen. But Mick and I break up. It would be very different for me to try and get into another relationship because I would understand that I can't be my playful, you know, sexual self that I was at the start when I was younger and that because it's like, well, no, I actually have surgeries. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm on different medication. It plays around with your hormones. So a massive struggle. I could totally understand what some people would be going through, but I never want people to feel like they're not good enough because they've got endometriosis or PCOS. Everyone's got something wrong with them. And if you've got all three, that's fine. There's someone out there for everyone. But even if you're not, you can have, we can still have fun on our own. Yeah, 100%. I think in encouraging that, you know, the self-love movement, which you're seeing so much more of now, that there's other ways around the traditional norms, right? Yeah, like you can get a dog or a cat yeah. or there's many different pets you can get. We don't need to be, we don't need to be in a physical relationship with a human to feel some sort of love. There's other ways around that. And I really found the chapter that you wrote about how I became a pregnant virgin. That was a very yeah. uh, well-written, uh, captivating headline there, Erin. You really, yeah. everyone wants to know what's going on with this. Um, Oh my God, I know, because that was when I had the three kilo cyst inside of me and it did look like I was probably like 23 weeks pregnant or something because when I laid down, it was like flat and then it was a bulge and it was rock hard. And I used to push on it all the time and I used to be like, oh, I'm so chubby. Like, why can't I get rid of this weight? And then when I went to the doctors with mum, mind you, bad timing because I just got a boyfriend, but I hadn't had sex yet, right? We hadn't gotten to that point just yet. And I'm sitting at the doctors with my mum And they were like, you know, do you have a boyfriend? Mum's like, yes, she does. And then she's like, well, you know, Erin, are you sexually active? I'm like, mm -mm." and mum's giving me those eyes of like, hmm? Are you, are you, are you going to tell me you've just had sex? And I'm like, I swear I have not had sex. And then they made me take multiple pregnancy tests, like the pee stick, and it was like all negative. And I'm like, well, of course it's negative because I haven't had sex. And then they made me do blood tests. And then after those were negative, they're like, let's do an ultrasound. And I'm like, okay. And then they saw the cyst and they're like, oh, shit, we better get her into surgery ASAP. <laughs> and I, and then because I remember them saying, you know, if we get mum to step out of the room, you know, you can tell us. I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter if I did tell you I was pregnant because I still have to go home with mum and I'm still 
still going to get, like, she's still going to yell at me. I'm 14 yeah. years old. And I'm going to tell her that whatever I said in the doctors is confidential. Like, no, it's not. I'm still under your rules. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll get back to the rest of our chat with Erin soon. Is it true the best? But first, we're an independent podcast and there are some easy ways you can support us. Make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app. Hit follow on Apple or Spotify. We're on all of them. Select automatic downloads. And if you're enjoying listening, please leave us a five-star rating and write us a kind review. Share the link with your friends and you can find us and follow at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. I'm at Belle Crawford and Belle underscore Crawford on TikTok. You'll find the details in our show notes. Plus, you can show us where you're listening, post it on your stories and tag us so we can see... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And cheer. Let's get back to the rest of our chat with Erin. Obviously with endometriosis, everyone's different. And not even that, like in any situation, people's personal choices when it comes to fertility, what they want... How has that impacted you and, and what you wanted? You know, is that something that you had to get your head around really quickly? Yeah, well, when I was younger, um, even when I just had PCOS, because I didn't realize the extent that it was going to get to, I always said, you know, I wanted twins. I wanted girls. I never really said I wanted a boy because I was like, I couldn't imagine having a boy. I wouldn't know what they would want. Um, and then as I was getting older, it was always like um, she might struggle having kids because of her PCOS and how bad it is. She might have to do IVF and then endometriosis came in and it was like, I remember them telling me I should try and have a baby between 19 and 23, I think it was. And I was like, uh, what? And they're like, yeah, because that'll be best for you. And they're like, you can't do IVF because your ovary is already overstimulated. So if you do IVF, you're going to have multiple cysts. They're going to burst inside you like it's just too dangerous. There's other ways. There's adoption. There could be surrogacy. If I did have a follicle that they could find, but they said the amount that I have now, there's probably none that would ever become an egg. So then I just kind of, I think the pain side, I took over and I just got more frustrated at the idea that people were trying so hard for me to have a baby instead of trying to make me pain free. So I don't ever get upset or down about it because I always had it in my mind that I would struggle to have children naturally. And then it just over the years became something that just kind of disappeared. Yeah. And so like you're saying that your pain almost sort of made that not really a problem for you because it was obviously so painful that you just thought, well, that's more more important of a situation for you to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I don't care if I can't have kids. I said, if you can get me pain free, I will deal with that later. Like it wasn't. And every time you had surgery, they were like, we're preserving your ovaries and your eggs, you know, for a baby down the future. I'm thinking that is not even on my mind. I want you to make me pain free. Like I want my life back. And every surgeon was like, you know, but when you're older, you might want to have a baby. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not older now. I'm at the age that I am and I would like to live through this age like without having surgeries. So everyone's just focused um, on your reproductive organs of just you are made to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do that, they wait till you're 45 and then they'll decide if that's what you want, which is weird because cosmetically you can get whatever you want the hell done to your body. But when it comes to health-wise, apparently everyone has to be involved and you have to get multiple signatures to make sure that they you can do what you want with your body. And there 
is a chapter in your book about that and how the world has babies on their brain the whole time. And that's so true. You know, whatever stage we're at in life, it's always, it seems to be. And I, I feel like things are changing a little bit, but not really. Like, it's still like, oh, when are you, you know, when are you having kids? Especially, like we were saying, it's almost like they're putting the possibility of a potential child one day ahead of your needs now. And that must be really frustrating for for people that are experiencing this. Yeah, no, you've just nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it's like. And especially if you don't have endometriosis or anything, you just purely don't want children. If that's your choice at that time, then you should be granted that. It has, it's no one else's business. And what's even more frustrating is if you're in a, like a marriage or something and you go to the doctor and make this decision, they'll be like, well, let's get your partner involved. And it's like, well, it shouldn't be anyone else's choices, but yours. But the more we speak about it, obviously the better it's going to get. Mm. People just do have babies on the brain and all they think. And like, especially if I say to someone, like I was at the hairdressers the other day and this lady asked me if I wanted kids and I was like, oh, I can't have kids. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Mm. Oh, you're so young. And I was like, what are you sorry for? Like, why do people do that? I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, my partner's got kids. Like, I don't, I'm fine with that. I'm like, even if I was on my own and I still can't have kids, it doesn't change it. You don't need to apologize. I don't care. But it's a natural reaction that people do. Like as if someone's just died, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear Yeah, and it's that situation where people just, like you said, she just asked you, oh, do you want to have kids? Like, it's just part of what you're meant to do in life. Like, women are meant to have children. And it's like, of course, why why not? That's just what you're meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, if even if someone's like, no, I don't want kids, it's like, a lot of people be like, but why? Oh, yeah. darling, you're so young. You'll change your mind. And it's like, no, I won't. Stop talking to me like this. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, you just don't know someone's situation. They may be struggling to have children or like yourself, yeah. they may not be able to. So, I mean, it sounds like you're you're pretty tough and you have come to terms with things, but some people might not be like that. And then for someone to ask them that question, it's incredibly upsetting for them. Yeah. Like you don't know whether they've just tried to have a child and it hasn't worked or they've just been diagnosed with something and then being like oh it's like I just feel like some questions should be off limits sometimes especially if some people have just gotten married it's always like oh so when are you having a baby and it's like "Mm, could be if they haven't mentioned it then you shouldn't mention it yeah are there things that not just with that but like things in your life that you've ever sort of felt like you've had to grieve because of your level of pain that you live with and things maybe that you haven't been able to do I know that you like to focus on what you can but Have you ever grieved those things at all? I think I'm doing it now where I'm missing out on a lot of time with my friends, especially during COVID because we had two years here in Melbourne, like where we were pretty much in lockdown. But now everyone's going out and having fun and it's like, I can't do that. And I still feel like I'm in that lockdown. So I'm not out of that mentality of being free and going out and doing what you want because I can't do it for very long because then I'll be sore and I'll be in pain. And then it's like, so then I just tell myself, well, why bother? why bother going out? Like you're just going to get sore in an hour anyway, so you may as well just stay home. So that's like, I'm going through that at the moment, but then instead my friends will come here. So I cancelled on my friend, Shale, we meant to go um, to this concert thing. And I said, I can't go, I'm in pain. I was like apologising and she's like, oh, well, I'm coming to your house instead. So then she hung out with me because that was when I meant to hang out anyway. She came in her pyjamas. We watched a movie and I was like crying because I was like, thank you so much. I'm like, this means so much to me. Can imagine it's really isolating living like this, you know, in this much yeah. pain, not being able to do things. It must be, I can't imagine the impact it has on your mental health. Like it must be so yeah. hard. Especially when like you are in pain and then you have to take painkillers and then you're at home and obviously 
we're all like on social media. So you see everyone having fun and mm. then you're like, then you just start getting really down and you just effort moment and you think, well, what am I even doing with my life? Like, what, what's the point? Not like anything like that, but just more like, well, you make, you're nothing. And then you start talking to yourself. You're like, well, she can do that. And she's just had surgery, but you're still in pain. So your body must be like shit. And then you just think, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. So you may as well stay home and do nothing. So that's why it's really important to have people around you that you can say this to and then they can get you out of that kind of hole that you're in. What are some of the ways that you like to take care of yourself, your self-care practices to make yourself feel as good as you can? Normally it would be like to, um, normally it would be to go for walks and that with my dogs, but I can't walk too much at the moment. So it would just be um, seeing my friends whenever I can, like getting them to come over. And I know this might sound like really vain, but like getting my hair done or getting my eyelashes done, going to get my Botox done, even though I'm not going anywhere, I was going to be staying home anyway, um, getting my nails done, just, you know, things that still make me feel like I'm still normal um, and can go do things. Doesn't matter if I end up coming home a bit earlier because I'm sore, but at least I've done that. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like I look better and I feel better and then I'll get back on the couch. But then it's more like talking to my friends or even just asking them if they can try a little harder to be more reassuring because like some people don't know your anxiety might be worse than it was yesterday. So then I'd be like, hey guys, like I'm not having a great day. Mm. And they'll be like, that's right. And they call me and they text me. And they say, when are we coming over? So just do things that you can do, but don't push yourself because I've tried to push myself and be like, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to exercise. Then I over-exercise and then I was in so much pain. I was on the floor and I'm like, see, you've overdone it. Yeah. So just do what your body's telling you, you you can do. And if that means that you got out of bed and walked to the couch without screaming, then that's great. Yeah, being kind to yourself. And I can imagine like not being too hard on yourself because there's so many things that you feel like you probably should be doing, but you you physically can't. And, and I think it's harder because you guys can't see what we're going through like as I'm sitting here like and I can see you can see me like I'm in so much pain right now but you can't see you can't see that I'm sore but I'm positioning like my body in a certain way so I've got pressure off my right ovary and it's like so I could go down the street to do grocery shopping and they'll be like oh I thought she said she was sore I'm screaming inside to get this over and done with so I can go home but because you guys can't see it like if you saw us bleeding on the floor and yeah. guts half out from all our surgeries and that you'd be like oh my god is she okay like are you sure she's fine but because you can't see it hmm. everyone's kind of like how bad is it really the more we talk about things like that you know I saw that on the news they're going to put more money towards endometriosis and all and that's great because it is actually being spoken about way more than it used to but we still have a lot more to do but the more we talk about it I feel like the easier things are going to get for people that are suffering because there'll be more understanding out there Yeah, and I guess in some ways you've been able to write this book. So how did that all come about? You've been able to use your, you know, hard experiences to literally write something that if someone is experiencing endometriosis or PCOS, they should definitely read this because you've given them a guide to how to get through everything. It's so helpful. I know. So the reason why I wrote this was it actually was in during lockdown. I thought I want to write a book because I want there to be a book that I wish I had when I was younger to read where you don't really want to talk to your mum because your mum thinks, you know, you shouldn't doing any sex or anything like that but you don't want to talk to your auntie or your friends because that's embarrassing when you're younger but a book that is also age appropriate for all ages so I cover a lot of things and then when it all came about and you know it was actually more 
triggering, I guess, when I was writing the book because I had to actually go through things that I had kind of blocked out and then I had to bring it forward again and relive it and I didn't like that. But I was like, but my experiences are going to help other people. And also because when it comes to reading a book, um, sometimes I like to just flick through the pages. That's why I made a cheat sheet because some of us only buy a book to read a certain chapter. And I thought, well, I'm going to put my whole life into this so you guys can do that. And it's not really just about me. It's a book about things that I've gone through that multiple women around the world go through and if you can avoid it so like it's like I'm kind of like your guinea pig I went through all the shitty things so you guys don't have to do it yeah and that's what I mean it's like such a beautiful thing that you've created to help others out of your horrible pain you know and your experiences and the feedback that I've had has just been amazing where people have messaged me and said oh I read your book before I had a doctor's appointment I went in there prepared or I've just come out of surgery and what you said in there after surgery no it's like that's really helped me and I've had mothers message me on behalf of their daughters saying thank you so much and I'm like this is what I wanted like all I wanted was this book to reach a few people that may be suffering and to help them and it's reached already a lot of people and I'm just forever grateful like there's just so much in this book that I can't even get out now like once you read it you'll end up rereading it and taking notes but it's also good for uh, say family members partners or friends or someone who wants or knows someone going through this but doesn't fully understand and doesn't feel comfortable enough asking like even if it's a work colleague that keeps taking time off they talk about something called endo and you're like what is that and it's like well if you buy endo unfiltered it explains it it's for men women anyone everyone around Mm. the world it's not just for someone who's suffering with it it's actually super beneficial for like someone who might have a partner or a friend going through it and they don't really know like I'm here to explain it to you yeah and it must feel like a big accomplishment for you as well especially when there's so many things that perhaps you feel like you can't do or you can't complete so to have completed this like writing a book is such a big effort so you must feel really proud of I yourself. know <laughs> yeah. I never thought I'd be an author in my life um because the books that I normally read are like a couple of pages <laughs> so I was really really excited when this happened and to see my name on a book was like unbelievable and to use my platform to make a book that is going to be helpful like it's not just it's not a selfish reason like this is something that I wanted to do for everyone around the world and I just feel really good that I'm able to help other people. Are there any other plans and things? Obviously you've got to take care of yourself. Actually going to have a hysterectomy party so we're going to celebrate the hysterectomy because hopefully I have my life back and we're going to have a cake that says like I've got 99 problems but like (laughs) there's going to be a photo of my uterus and like that ain't one. Yeah. And then hopefully after that I can honestly get my life back on track. I can start in maybe a different career or maybe going back on telly. Um, I really want to write another book. We'll wrap up soon, but how did, you know, how did you find things when you were on those reality shows? Were you in a lot of pain when you were on them? So on Beauty and the Geek, not so much because I just turned 18, so I only had a couple of surgeries like I did. Um, Love Island, I had a couple again, but I always wore a tampon on Love Island because obviously you're in bikinis, which is very dangerous to do. But I wore one because I was always afraid that I know that I had random bleeding. I knew that I had random clotting. Like I knew this was a thing, um, but it wasn't that bad. And then when I came off Love Island, they say that sometimes endometriosis can get worse with stress. And then obviously there were some stressful things that happened after the show. And then I think that made it worse. And then that was just like horrific. The year after that was just like surgery after surgery. Then on I'm a Celebrity, I actually had um, a clot come out of me after one of the challenges and it did happen in front of people because I was wearing shorts and the blood just gushed out and I was like, oh, well, like I didn't get embarrassed. I was like, well, this is, I'm I'm actually here for Endometriosis Australia. So let me demonstrate what we go through. (laughs) It was so nice because everyone was, they got me a hot water bottle and Miguel and all the other campmates were making sure there was always hot water on the fire to fill up my hot water. That was like, is it hot enough? Let me feel it. 
and making sure that I had one. So that was probably the reality TV show where like my endo was like, I'm here to stay. Do you love, you love doing reality shows? You don't find them like scary, like they're going to portray you in a bad way? <laughs> no, see, I love reality TV show, but um, TV shows. But the thing is being on Beauty and the Geek, I realized that because it was so, I think they had months to edit it. I realized there's a difference between being on a reality TV show where there's a 24 hour turnover of editing. So I would more prefer shows that are like that, like Love Island yeah. or I'm a Celebrity where they have to come on telly the next day. I don't really think some reality TV shows are so scripted, like what comes out of your mouth comes out of your mouth, but how the editors maneuver that is obviously how some yeah. people will betray you. Please never go on Married at First. I mean, obviously you've got a partner. So oh, you God, wouldn't... no. The other day this lady came up to me. She's like, you're that girl. I'm like, uh, what? And she's like, you're that girl from Maths. And I'm like, what? Erin. And I was like, yeah, no, darling, not maths. And she's like, oh, Love Island. I'm like, yes. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, never maths. Yeah, your season of, of Love Island Australia was the best. The others, like, they haven't just haven't been as good since. So it was pretty cool. Oh, my God, I've even said it to the producer. I actually messaged him the other day and I said, listen, <laughs> you want me to help you find some people? I said, because it's so boring. And I've, I'm like, I'm not afraid to say it because it's so boring. But, no, we loved you on there. And, then, and yeah, you've done, uh-huh. heaps, you've done heaps since then and you've written a book. It's so cool. I know, right? And no one filtered by it. Yeah. <laughs> What is some advice that you would like to share with your younger self? Knowing what you know now, the 17 surgeries you've gone through, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her to freeze her eggs. I swear that would be the advice. When I look back now and I've spoken to surgeons, they say to me that they, if I freezed my eggs when I was in my teenage years, probably would have been beneficial that wasn't a thing that we spoke about back then. Mm. So my recommendation to younger me would be freeze your eggs and um, go have fun Yeah. <laughs> because when you turn 20, your life's going to be all about surgeries. Yeah. <laughs> so just do whatever you want. Sneak out of the house, meet up with that boy. Just go live your life. <laughs> oh, yeah. And just on that, you know, you say that you've come to terms with that. And I know that you are like, you know, you're, you are quite strong and everything. But that, oh, thank you. that must have really, <laughs> did that really upset you, though, the whole thing about, you know, knowing that you could have frozen your eggs? Did that did that upset you? That only came up about like the end of the year. So it didn't, I didn't get upset. I got frustrated because I thought, I remember when they said to my mum and myself, like, if she has a baby between 19 and 23 or something, that'll be her best ages. And I think, why wasn't I given the option to freeze my eggs back then before things were really bad? And I only have having a cyst every now and then. I could have done IVF treatment, but they looked at me like I was too young mm. and that I'll be fine. And we only do that to women that are older. And, uh, you know, that's what made me frustrated is because they thought they knew what 10 years from that, that looked like for me, but they actually had no idea. But also lack of education on my behalf and my mum's. We didn't know anything about endometriosis or really PCOS. So we thought, as you get older, it's going to get fine. But looking back, I would have definitely frozen my eggs at probably 18 years old. If all this still happened, that's fine. At least I would have those eggs there where you could do surrogacy and all that. And I would not have had, you know, I would have gone through the IVF process, but can't do that now because my body's like, hell no, Mm. we are not doing that, sister. (laughs) We are going to explode inside of you. And what advice would you like to share with others listening? Obviously, they can go read your book. It will have heaps of very helpful advice, especially if they're going through this. But what would you like to tell people? Um, I would just like to tell people that 
obviously it sounds cliche, but you aren't alone in all of this. Like you're not alone going through this. There are many people there and reach out for help. There are so many endometriosis help groups on Facebook that you can find. Just search up endometriosis group and you'll find thousands from people around the world. And also two periods are never supposed to be painful. And if you go in a doctor's appointment and you don't feel like you got what you wanted out of it, go to another one. Just remember that at the end of the day, it's your body. You can do whatever the hell you want to your body and don't ever let anyone else tell you what you want to do. Like, if you don't want to do something, don't do it. Oh, I love Erin so much. She's the best. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Self Love Club. You can watch videos of our chat at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. Make sure you hit follow to keep up with us. And also hit follow to subscribe on your podcast app. We'll be back in your podcast apps with a new episode for you soon. See ya.